Hey, good morning, Harlan. How are we doing this morning? Doing good? Yeah, good to be with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Brad, and I get to serve as one of the pastors around here, here at Heartland. And when I was growing up, I know we've got school starting up here in a couple weeks. For some of you, that might be exciting. For some of you, you may not be as excited about that. My, my grade school, elementary school, ran all the way up to sixth grade. This was before we changed everything around. Anyone else? Yeah, sixth grade? Right. So when I showed up on the first day of sixth grade, it could have been probably one of the 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 biggest disasters or crises of my whole elementary school career. Because when I showed up on that first day, my two best friends from fifth grade were in a different class. Now, right? Yeah, if you've ever been in elementary school, you know that like being placed in different classes with your best friend is like a death sentence for a best friendship. And, and I, my two best friends were in the same class and I was in a different class. And I knew that it was only a matter of time until I was going to be completely forgotten by those other best friends, if not just totally replaced by someone, by someone new. And so I was preparing for probably the worst disastrous year of my life. And that's when Ryan showed up. So Ryan was new to our school. And uh, he was a little different, a little, little quirky, but kind of cool and interesting. He seemed athletic. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he was outgoing. I could tell he didn't have any older siblings because all of his clothes were like new and fashionable. <laughs> and I had two older brothers, so that was not my case. None of my clothes were new or fashionable, so I was a little intrigued with him. And um, we, we found out, I found out that um, Ryan, though he didn't know this, he was a free agent on the friendship market, right? <laughs> and I was a friend in need. But I wasn't gonna just let anyone be my friend. I was gonna kinda try him out for a little bit. And we found out that we lived a couple streets apart in our neighborhood, so we decided uh, to meet at the creek after school one day. That's what you did in the 80s after school. You went to the creek and you played, you got dirty, you found something to do and keep you preoccupied for a couple hours. Can I get an amen? amen. That's right. So we decided to meet at the creek, and the creek was in our neighborhood was at the bottom. It was kind of an old pasture farmland, and it was in the bottom of that a neighbor had been built on, and, and the creek was at the bottom of like this 25-foot ravine, right? And as we were walking around exploring the creek and this ravine, there was this old metal fence that had crossed from one side of the top of the ravine to the other. And this is where I learned that my new potential best friend, uh, Ryan, that's what he was officially in that season, new potential best friend, Ryan was a little bit of a, bear, a daredevil. And he said, hey, let's, cross a, let's go across that metal fence from one side of the ravine to the other. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not so sure. Like, but you go for it. And see, before I even said that, he was already kind of climbing across this metal fence while I turned around and started looking for another way to get across the ravine. And as I did, I heard Ryan start to yell as he fell the 25 feet from the fence down to the bottom of the creek bed. And I ran over to the ravine's edge and I saw him flat on his back, completely motionless at the bottom of the creek. And that's when I knew my new potential best friend is dead. <laughs> He's gone. I have to go find a new potential best friend. <laughs> Fortunately, Ryan was okay, as were my chances of having a best friend. Uh, I got down there, he brushed himself off. It was the first of many daredevil feats that I would watch him try in our, in our, in our friendship. And he had this kind of odd 
indestructible quality that no matter what he tried or did, it didn't, he walked away without a scratch. I never totally understood it, but I saw it many, many times over our friendship. And when I realized, when we realized that he was okay, we made a pact that we were never going to tell our parents what had happened. In fact, if my mom and dad are watching from St. Louis, this is the first time that they've heard this story. And, and we, we made a pact that we would never tell our parents, and it was on that day that I found a new best friend. And it would be a best friend that would help me through the preteen tumultuous years of middle school and and that we would share lockers together in high school. We would take each other out to Denny's for late night breakfast after girlfriends would break our hearts, which happened many, many times. We would go to Dave Matthews Band's concerts together and drive across the Midwest just for the heck of it. And we went to different colleges after high school. Ryan went over to Indiana. I stayed here in Missouri. And uh, after my freshman year, I came home for summer break, and he had learned that I had this new serious girlfriend. We were hanging out one night, and he said, well, I have to meet her. I'm your best friend. And I was like, you're right, you do. And despite it being well after midnight, he drove me across town to where my new girlfriend lived, and we realized that she was asleep in her upstairs bedroom window, so he let me climb on top of his shoulders to (laughs) knock on her window Uh, to wake her up, not to get in her window, we would never do such a thing, but to knock on her window and to wake her up. And and so I stood on my best friend's shoulders as he stood in my future in-law's front landscaping bushes, which are still dead to this day. (laughs) Just to wake up my new girlfriend as a little bit of a romantic gesture, but also so she could meet my old best friend, Ryan. So today we're starting this whole new series on friendship. Because I think that for all of us, there may have been, hopefully has been at least one person in our life who came in at just the right time. It could be a a new student in your class who became a friend. It could be a coworker that you realized you had something in common with and you started hanging out after work. It could be a neighbor that uh, you started having more than just mailbox conversations with. But because that person became a friend, because they went from stranger to friend or prospective friend to actual friend, Your life became better because of it, because that's what friendships do. They make our lives better. Friends add things that are missing from our lives. They add camaraderie. They add encouragement. They they bring fun. Friends bring new perspectives that we need to hear and, 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 and be challenged by. That's what friends do. They challenge us. They're not afraid to get in our way or to call us up or to see the potential in us that we don't know is there and to call us up to that potential, that that really good friends actually keep us from doing stupid things, things that we might regret, or even if we do, our friends are at least there to help bail us out when we do those things, right? So, So we all hopefully have had at least maybe one friend like that in their life. And so we're calling this series asking for a friend, and which is usually a phrase that we use to describe questions that we're too afraid to ask for ourselves, so we ask them on behalf of a friend, right? But that's not this series. That would be a, a great series, but that's not this series. Uh, we're gonna, this series is literally us asking for a friend because we believe that there may be nothing that may be more important in this particular season than to ask for friends, to ask for friends, because we all need friends at this time. Why? For one, because this is the heartbeat of our church. You heard Lisa say it, that we make space to build relationships to make Jesus first. That we have this conviction as a church that we want to be more than just a building on the side of the road or an hour on Sunday morning or a video to turn on in our living room. But we believe that God does his best work in our lives for the people, the friends, that we make a part of our lives. 
But friends, whether they're friends who are in church or friends who are outside of church, these are not easy things to find and even harder to maintain that if we should find friends, that it takes a lot of work to maintain those friendships. It takes a lot of time and effort. And maybe you have stories of friends in your lives that you've kind of got burned by that you've had some hard friendships. I think we all have. And if you hear the idea of friendship and you kind of, you have a little bit of a weight on your shoulders or a groan for whatever reason, you're not alone. (laughs) Because our culture is struggling with friendship maybe more than it ever has. And that's the other reason for this series because we live in a time and a place when people have less friends and less meaningful friendships than they ever have. As I was preparing for this message in the series, I found study after study this week. It is not hard to find a study where sociologists are all saying the same thing, which is that friendship is on the decline. So here's, I want to show you two of the biggest studies that were done. One, this was over the course of 30 years by the, the Survey Center on American Life, that between 1990 and 2021, so they reported this last year, Americans who reported having a best friend dropped from 75% down to 59% over those 30 years. The same study also reported in those 30 years that Americans who reported having less than three close friends, so not just a best friend, but just a close friend, went from 27% to 49%. People who had less friends increased. That the same study reported that Americans are having fewer close friends than they once did, talking to their friends less often than they once did, and relying less on their friends for personal support. Another study by uh, the University of California, Los Angeles, um, found that two in five adults felt like they lack companionship, that their relationships aren't meaningful, and that they are isolated from others. You see, what we're seeing with friendships in our culture and in our society today over the past few decades, this isn't, this isn't just a geographical thing. These people, these survey respondents were from all over the United States. Uh, this isn't even a, a, a generational thing. They spanned all, all ages of adults. They also, this also isn't a COVID thing. This didn't just happen because of COVID. As you look back on the data, this has been the trend for decades that we have a loneliness epidemic. And the answer to loneliness is friendship. Now, just to make sure we're all talking about the same thing when we're talking about friendship, here is friendship expert uh, Shasta uh, Nelson who wrote a book called Frentimacy, and she defines friendship like this. I think it's a good starting point for understanding friendship. Friendship is when two people feel seen by one another in a safe and satisfying way. So it's not just an acquaintance. It's not just two people who who roommates or or two people who happen to spend a lot of time together. It's two people who feel seen by one another in a safe and satisfying way. So just as you think about your own life, maybe who who has been a friend like that to you in the past? Who's a friend like that right now? Who's someone that that you feel seen by? What's a friendship in your life that you feel like is, is really satisfying, that's really safe? What are the quality of your friendships? And what do you want them to be? What kind of friend are you? And so these are the questions that we're exploring in this series. And and friendships come in all shapes and sizes. In fact, for the next three weeks, as we go out through this series, every week we're going to look at a different kind of friendship that we need in our life to have our most satisfying, meaningful lives. 
But before we jump into those kinds of friendships, I just want to spend a day and I just want to kind of lay the foundation. I just want to get, get a few things kind of laid out as we move into the rest of these series. Three things that, that the Bible tells us, three truths about friendship from the Bible. You ready for that? All right, good. So here's the first one. First one, kind of plain and simple. The first thing that we need to know about friendship is that you and I were created for friendship first with God and then with each other. That you and I were created for friendship first with God and then with one another. So over the past few decades, I've been telling you there's been a lot of studies that have been done. And uh, Britton Gregory, our, our connections director here at Heartland, if you know Britton, you love Britton. Britain's amazing. I call her our chief connections officer here at Heartland because her whole role is aimed at helping people build connections ac across these blue rows and online um, uh, here, at, here at Heartland. And so she knew that we were going to be jumping into the series, so she's been on the lookout. And she sent me this fascinating podcast that dug into a lot of what uh, social psychologists have been learning, uh, not just about what's happening in America, but also who have been studying loneliness and studying the effects of loneliness on our lives. And what these studies, these experts have been learning since about the early 90s is when they really started paying attention to this, is that loneliness is not just an unpleasant emotion, okay? Loneliness, that's how we sometimes think about it, as an unpleasant emotion. But loneliness actually induces physical trauma on our bodies. That's what these experts are telling us. Loneliness, not just an unpleasant emotion, but actually inducing physical trauma on our bodies, equivalent, get this, to smoking 15 cigarettes a day over a prolonged period of time. That the physical effects of loneliness is equivalent to the same effects as obesity or just not exercising. So we can't treat loneliness as just kind of this, this emotion that we have to kind of deal with every now and then and work through because it actually affects us in even deeper ways than that. And, and I also want to say, fellas, if you think we're immune to this, the studies have shown that we are especially susceptible men <laughs> to the effects of loneliness. That loneliness can actually lead, has a greater likelihood of addiction and mental crisis in adults, including and especially men. Now, if you're thinking, well, that's fine, but I'm not lonely. The studies have also shown that men are less likely to admit feelings of loneliness. 10% so. And it may be because of social stigmas or just because of our preoccupation of, of looking strong or successful, or we just don't even know how lonely we are, guys. So we can't excuse ourselves from the purpose and the point of friendships. Now, on the flip side, doctors and counselors have found that as, as negative as loneliness is on our lives and our bodies, the most positive thing that you can do for yourself and for your health and for the longevity of your life is friendship. That these deep and meaningful connections that we have with other people, that we cultivate in our other people, have greater impact on the quality and the longevity of our, of our life. Not, but more than diet, more than surgery, more than genetics, more than even medicine. That are, now all of these things can be good things and can be helpful things in our health, but close friendships have as good, if not greater, an impact on our life and the longevity of it than all of those things. Now, I share all this to you not so we can have kind of a science lesson, but because what, what these experts are finding should not be a surprise for us. That what they're finding has already been revealed to us through the pages of Scripture right there on page one. That you and I were created for friendship. 
first with God and then with one another. That's the, that's the first thing, that you and I were created for friendship with God and one another. In fact, when we look at Genesis 1, right there at the beginning, here's a verse we looked at a few weeks ago when God says right at the end of, of making all of creation, the universe and the planets and the sun and the moon and the, and the, the earth and the land and the sea and the animals and the birds, and then he gets to creating one more thing, kind of the climax of his creation. He says, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. And we paid attention to this, this plural word, us and our, and says, why is God speaking in the plural? And we kind of started to dig into this massively complex mystery called the Trinity, that God is one, but he is made up of three unique and distinct persons who, who work and live in relationship with one another, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus. And so the, the image and the likeness of God that he's referring to is this relational wiring this relationship with one another, and it's out of this relationship that you and I have been created. And so he says, let us make mankind in our image. He's relational, and so are we. And, and so he creates Adam out of this relationship for relationship with God, but despite God and Adam having this beautiful relationship, despite Adam having God entirely to himself, think about how beautiful that would be. God, I have you entirely to myself. Despite that, God says, not good. Everything else, good. This, not good. This guy having me all to himself, not good. He needs something else. Something is missing. And that word good means tov, or in the Hebrew it means it's tov, which means not working the way it's supposed to. And so he says it is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates for Adam a, a teammate. <laughs> he creates for Adam someone else because he looks at Adam and says it's not good that he doesn't have anyone to work with. He doesn't have anyone to talk about his day with. He doesn't have anyone to, to explore creation with, to, to laugh with, to tell stories with. This is not good. And so he makes for him a teammate. He gives him Eve. Now, sometimes we read this passage as a reference to, to marriage. And we can't be so quick to do that because this isn't a story about the, the... Adam's dilemma was not his singleness. His dilemma was his loneliness. That's what God is seeing and, and, and stepping into here, that Adam needed something more than just a relationship with God. He needed relationships with other people. Now, here, here's the other thing. When we talk about loneliness, there is a good loneliness, and there's also an unhealthy loneliness. That, that uh, German theologian Paul Tillich, uh, he, he describes this. He says, solitude, uh, solitude is the joy of loneliness. Solitude is the joy, what it says is solitude is the joy of being alone, loneliness is the pain of it. Think about that. There's sometimes when it's joyful to be alone. If you have kids, if you're married, if you have roommates, if you have coworkers, there's times when it's good for us to be alone. That's the joy of being alone. That's solitude. The flip side is loneliness, which is the pain of being alone. And that's what God sees here in Adam. God knew that it wasn't good for Adam to work alone and to be by himself. And what it tells us about Adam and what it really tells us about ourselves is that we need other people in our lives. We, know that we need those deep and lasting and meaningful connections that for us to experience the fullness of the life that God created us to have, we need friendship first with him and then with one another. Now, as we look for those friends, as we find those people that we bring into our life, here's the second kind of big overarching truth that the Bible tells us about friendships, and it's this. It's that your friends determine the direction of your life. 
that there is something about the people that make up our life that determine the direction and the, and the quality of our life. That friendships are important, but who you choose to make those friends is just as important. And so there's this book kind of in the middle of the Bible called Proverbs. It's, it's a book full of wisdom, practical wisdom about how to live life. And, and in this book, there are plenty of verses about friendship and about the kind of people that we make our friends. And it was supposedly written, or it was written by supposedly the, the wisest person who ever lived, King Solomon. And there's one verse that I think is especially important when it comes to friendships. And the, the verse is this. He says, let's read this together just to kind of keep us awake. Walk with the wise and become wise. Let's do that again. Walk with the wise and become wise. Now, you read that, walk with the wise and become wise. What Solomon is telling us is that wisdom, this quality of, what's wisdom? It's kind of this quality practice of careful living, good judgment, kind of discernment, right? Going about life with that kind of care. And, and wisdom is actually contagious. That simply by being with people who have wisdom, you yourself become wise, you benefit from their wisdom. Now, who are the wise people? It's the, it's the friends that your parents wish you were friends with. Okay. I know we've got our middle schoolers, are, they don't have uh, programming this morning because they're training leaders down there. And so um, what I'm going to tell you, because I've been in middle school before, it was a long time ago. Uh, but what you don't know that your parents knew and they're realizing that their parents knew <laughs> was that who you're friends with have something to say about the trajectory and the quality of your life. That when we surround ourselves, when we make those wise people, and when we pull them into our circles and do life with them, then we actually benefit from their wisdom because wisdom is contagious. Now, look at the rest of this verse. Let's say this together. But a friend of fools suffers harm. A friend of fools suffers harm. Harm. Walk with the wise and you become wise, but a friend of a fool suffers harm. Now, what's a fool? It's someone who lacks wisdom. They don't practice that kind of careful living. They don't have that sound judgment and discernment in their life. But, and so when they make those kinds of decisions and mistakes that kind of, kind of reek of, of folly, of foolishness, that what the, what the Proverbs tell us is that when they do, it's not just them who suffers harm. It's those who are close to them. And you have experienced this. You know this to be true. You've had friendships, whether it's as a kid or as an adult, and, and with someone who made some sort of decision or had some kind of lifestyle or, or some lack of discernment and, and uh, judgment in their life. And when there was some wreckage in their life, which was inevitably bound to happen, you weren't just a bystander for it. The wreckage of their life created some collateral damage in your life. So you walk with the wise, you become wise. You walk with the foolish, you don't just become foolish, you actually suffer along with the foolish. Wisdom is contagious. Folly, the lack of wisdom in our friendships, actually, actually harms you and me in our own relationships. And I, I heard it said many times, I, when I was growing up, show me your friends, anyone know the rest of it? And I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What it's saying is that who your friends are actually says something about the future in your life. That, that, that if you want to know where you're going in life, just pay attention to the close friendships around you. That your friends can actually ultimately move you in a certain direction. That if you have a friend or friends who are really negative, who are really cynical about life or about the world, and then it's saying don't be surprised if you find yourselves being negative and cynical one day too. 
because our friends move us in certain directions. That if you have friends who love to drink too much on the weekends, don't be surprised if you do too. That if you have friends that are always blaming their spouse for their problems in their marriage or who give up too easily on, on their marriages, then don't be surprised. It might be a forecast of what's to come in your life if you keep hanging out with and listening to these friends. Because your friends actually move you into certain places and in certain directions in your life. And it's a time to ask yourself a question, are my friends moving me in the direction that I want to go in my life? Because on the flip side, the the wonderful thing about this is that if you want to move your life in certain directions, then make sure that the friends that you have in your life are people who can help move you there. That if I want to love God more in my life, that if I want, as we say here at Heartland, to make him more first in my life, in my marriage, in my career, in my outlook, in the decisions that I'm making, then the best thing that I can do is to have friends who want that too. And it would be the same in any other area of your life. And if you want to grow in your physical health, in your leadership, um, whatever it is, you're going to surround yourself with people who can help move you in that direction because that's what good friends do. So friends actually move us in certain directions in our life. And they move us into places that we want our life to be. And so just as a question for yourself, as you think about your closest friends right now, what did those friends tell you about where your life may be in five years? And is it where you want to be? And maybe that's something for you to do this week is just to write out some of those friendships and ask for God's wisdom and discernment about what to do with them. And it kind of raises up the question of what what kind of friend should we be looking for and what kind of friend do we want to be? And fortunately, Jesus gives us some pretty good answers to this. And in fact, this is the third kind of big truth I want to leave with us today, is that Jesus shows us the essential ingredients of a great friendship. Jesus shows us the essential ingredients of a great friendship. That one of the fascinating things about Jesus when he started his ministry, one of the fascinating things is that the first thing he did was to go find some people to do life with. That he, he went and found t- 12, 12 fellows to kind of walk with him over those few years of ministry. And we call them disciples. And that's what they were. They were followers of Jesus. They were students. They learned from him. They ultimately would carry on his message and his movement after Jesus left. Um, but Jesus makes it very clear that these guys weren't just disciples. In fact, on one of the last nights that Jesus spent with these guys, he tells them as much. He says... As the Father has loved you, so I have loved you. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. He says, I have called you friends. Even the Savior of the world knew that he needed friends when he walked this planet that he didn't get a pass from this, this way that we've all been created to design for friendship with God and one another. And so he creates some friendships for him to be able to live with. Now, there's plenty of things that, that we could say, and we could open up just about any magazine in a doctor's office right now, and they could tell us some of the best qualities for good friendships. I guarantee you there's plenty of articles out there about that. But Jesus offers a few more in this statement right here. That Jesus shows us, I think, what are special. We can't create a list of of what we need, essential ingredients in our friendship, without listening to Jesus. And I just want to pull out a few of them really quickly for us. And the first one 
The first one is this. The first thing that Jesus shows us is for great friendships, we need vulnerability. He says, I have revealed everything to you. He says, I've held nothing back. There's been no secrets. There's been no mysteries. Everything I've heard from my father, I've passed along to you. You've been in some of the darkest moments of my ministry and my life. And so he shows this quality of transparency and vulnerability and risk even in, even in these relationships. Now, the thing about vulnerability is you may have some friendships in your life that you're more vulnerable in than others. That's okay, right? Even Jesus, this was true. He was friends with lots of people. He had his kind of core group of these 12 guys. And then even within them, he had some people that he spent more time, three guys that he spent more time with and shared more of his heart with than the others. And as we go through this series, as we talk about the different kind of friendships we need, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. We're going to talk about those close, deep-knit friendships where we can just, just bear our souls. Because that's a question for you and for me is, do you have someone that you can share your secrets with, that you can share your struggles with, that you can talk about your sin with. And they're not going to throw judgment at you. They're going to sit with you in it because they know that you took a massive risk confiding that information in you. Do you have friends that you can be that vulnerable with? And if your friendships continually stay at kind of a shallow surface level, it could be that maybe there's yet to be any real vulnerability, that maybe you or that other friend has, has yet to share anything of real significance or importance that would break, break that floor that's keeping you from going into a deep and meaningful friendship. In fact, part of why our culture struggles so much with friendship is because of our constant desire to impress one another, isn't it? See, impressing one another may earn you followers, but sharing our weaknesses, being vulnerable, earns you friends. Pastor, author Craig Rochelle, he talks about this. He says, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people in our weaknesses. Who's your friend that you can be weak with? Who's your friend that you can lower your guard? Are you willing to? Can you be a friend that others can lower their guard to you and you would be okay with it? You wouldn't be quick to hit the eject button from that conversation or to lighten the mood with a little sarcasm, but just to kind of sit in that real moment with them. So Jesus shows us vulnerability. The second kind of essential ingredient of friendships that Jesus shows us is initiative. Jesus shows initiative with these guys. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now, this worked for Jesus. Uh, I am not suggesting that we all go out and find strangers on the street corners and say, hey, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Let's be friends. We're going to scare a lot of people away like that. But what Jesus did do that we can learn from is he took the initiative. He was intentional enough to create space in his life, and he filled that space with people to do life with. That he filled that space with friendships. And that's a hard thing to do to find friends. That was easier in sixth grade when it just took a, a new, strange, kind of intriguing, athletic kid in my class to make a new friend. It's not so easy when you're adults, right? And so where do we start? We start by finding people that we might actually share something in common with. This is what famed uh, atheist turned follower of Jesus, C.S. Lewis, talks about. He says, he says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Because C.S. Lewis realizes that friendships are built at this moment when we realize that we have something in common with one another. And I think this is something we really struggle with in church, especially. 
that we sit in these blue rows or we watch from online and we don't think that there could be anyone else here in this room that's, that has something in common with me, with you. So this is why so many of our efforts around community here at Heartland are built on creating some kind of what? You too? Kind of experiences. Now that's what all of our meetups are that we've been doing this past year, that out in our atrium and our hub, that when we talk about, hey, go find someone that you have something in common with. It could be a common interest like paddleboarding or motorcycling, or we just kind of have done everything under the sun. Because we want to help our big church feel small by giving us an easy access point into these friendships, by, by creating a space where you can find other people that you look at and go, you too? I don't know. And maybe from that conversation, there could be a friendship that's born out of it. Or maybe it's, it's someone that you have a common purpose or a passion that you share with this other person, that, that, that you have a passion for giving away food to those who most need it in our community or supporting those who are in foster care or adoption or mentoring kids and youth, even right here in our Heartland community, that you can link arms with other people who have that same passion and purpose that, that actually some of the strongest friendships here at Heartland have been formed between people who serve and who volunteer together. Because when you do those things, you're not just, you're not just making a difference, you're actually making a friend more often than not. And those friendships that God gives you along the way matter just as much as the difference that you're making when you serve and you volunteer together. So that's why over these next few weeks, we don't just want to talk about friendship. We actually want to help us find some friends here at Heartland. So next week, in the uh, next couple of weeks, we're having some of our biggest meetups ever. We're moving the meetups from the, the hub out into the atrium. And so next week when you show up, we're going to have our atrium kind of broken up into different areas of the city that you may live in. And it's just a way that, that you can go and meet some people that you might actually be neighbors with. And you don't got to go deep with them. You can just shoot the breeze, but you begin to make some conversations that helps us at Heartland begin to be a place where we can experience friendship with one another. The week after that, we're going to have our atrium kind of divided up according to what decade of life that you're in. That if you need some other people who, who are raising young kids and in the diapers phase, you can kind of wallow in misery together and be tired together. Like if you're in your older, grayer, wiser years, you can talk about Bob Seger or whatever you guys do. Actually, Bob Seger makes more sense the older I get. <laughs> I read that somewhere, I don't know. I took that from somebody. Uh, and then the following, the last week, this is all built to just building some connections. The last week, we're actually gonna have all of our Heartland communities out there, all of our serving and volunteer teams, so that you can know, hey, here's some access points for you. Here's some places that you can jump in, because we think the best thing you can do for your life and for your faith and for our mission here at Heartland is to go make some friends. It's going to cross over that risky, scarier barrier and to go do that together. But here's the thing. We can set up the atrium and have all the meetups in the world. It takes initiative. And one thing that's true of Heartland is we're never going to force your hand in anything. We don't want to manipulate you into anything, guilt you into anything. The ball is always in your court. And so hopefully that's a step you're willing to take. If not, we'll always be ready for you. And it's not just initiative to step into friendships. It's initiative to maintain them. And that's this last kind of quality that Jesus shows us that makes a great friendship. And it's the quality of generosity. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I, I think this may be the one of the three, you know, we talked about initiative, we talked about vulnerability. I think generosity is the one that I struggle with the most. I'm great at being friends with generous people. I love those friendships but I don't think I'm equally generous. 
I was reminded of this a few weeks ago. My family and I were taking a, a camping trip. We'd been planning this for years. We were driving out to Glacier National Park in Northwest Montana, 25 hour drive. And three hours into the drive, um, we, I, I realized that we had lost the wheel bearings on our pop-up camper that we were pulling behind us, which really shouldn't be a big deal. It's like a $20 annual maintenance thing that I just forgot to do and uh, drove on it for too long. And so I found myself not even to Omaha, not even three hours into our trip with a busted trailer axle that was gonna take a week to fix. And, and we thought maybe this isn't, we gotta postpone this trip, maybe we just need to turn around and go back to Kansas City. And, and in that moment, kind of un, unprovoked, I had three different friends, all from Heartland, separate from one another, call me and offer to drive up their family's camping gear to Omaha, to loan that to us so that we could keep on going on our trip. Now, I was, my wife and I, we were just sitting there, we were kind of amazed as we were trying to figure this out. You've been in situations like that where you don't know what to do, and in the midst of it, you have people who step in, people that I didn't even know all that well, but I'd had enough of a friendship with them that they, they felt a door to open in and say, hey, I can be generous in this moment, not just to offer their gear, but to drive up three hours to Omaha and three hours back on the spur of the moment that day as this was happening. I'm not really that kind of friend to think about doing that and to offer that. But there were people in my life that God had kind of put in place that offered that to us. We were just blown away. And it made me think about how do I reflect that kind of generosity, that kind of reckless, selfless, spontaneous generosity. And if you're looking for a way to deepen your friendships, it could just be a little bit of generosity, a little bit of reckless generosity offered out to some people in your circles that creates space for that vulnerability, that helps them take some initiative and response to you. Vulnerability, initiative, generosity. Look at those three words here. As we go into this series together, I just, I wanna encourage you to take some time and think about two questions. One is, how do you reflect these qualities in your own friendships? How do you show vulnerability, initiative, and generosity in your friendships. And secondly, and especially if you find yourself in a, in a really hard and lonely season right now, how can you look to Jesus to receive these things from him right now? I think in periods, especially when our human relationships and friendships are, are at a low point or at a hard point, those are seasons when we need to run back to Jesus and lean into our friendship with him. And maybe this is a moment for you to do that right now. And so right now we're gonna move into a time of communion and it's a time where we can remember together as a community here that Jesus is the one who makes friendship with God and one another even possible. We talk about the relationship and friendship with God a lot, but we don't always talk about the friendships with one another and how we need Jesus's grace in those relationships just as much as our relationship with God. And it's a time to remember that when Jesus went to the cross, that he didn't just go as a Lord, he didn't just go as a savior, he went to the cross as a friend. That he sat in that room with his, with his fellows, with his guys, with his boys, with the people that he had done life with. And he called them friends. And then just after that is when we see him take the bread and take the cup and say, this is a picture of what I'm about to do for you out of my love for you. I've made myself weak and vulnerable. I'm taking this initiative 
and I am lavishing my love freely upon you. Because the thing about the generosity of Jesus is it never waits to be asked. It never wonders if it's deserved. It just is. It never regrets being offered. And Jesus has not regretted the grace and the love and the friendship that he has offered you. And so around the room, we have four stations. We have a couple different ways where you can receive the elements today. If you want to take some of the bread and dip it, or we have the prepackaged cups as well, all of it is gluten-free. We want to remove every barrier for you to have a moment where you can reflect on the kind of friend that Jesus is to you. So when you're ready, as the band leads us in this song, at any point, you can come forward to any of these stations. Let me pray for us as we do. So Jesus, we thank you for the hope of friendship. I pray for every single person in this room. If we find ourselves in lonely seasons, God, to know the comfort of one who sticks with us like a brother, a friend who is like none other. God, maybe we reflect on our friendships and we realize some wrongs that we've done, some initiative that we've failed to take, some hurt that we've caused, that these next few weeks can be a healing season for us, Lord that you would do things in this series, in our church, that, our, that we and our world are so deeply in need of to be a friend to one another. Give us wisdom. Give us initiative. Give us love. And thank you for being the friend to us. A friend that we could never ask for, that we never deserve, but that we can always turn to. We come to you now to the table in your name, Jesus, and because of your grace.